Hey everyone, I wanna let you know about an upcoming virtual conference that you gotta check out. In an effort to bring more thoughtful dialogue to the topic of mental health in the Latter-day Saint context, the Leading Saints team has put together the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. We have interviewed 20 plus individuals with expertise or real life experience related to so many mental health topics, including anxiety, depression, eating disorders, ADHD, and even scrupulosity. We will discuss all these topics as they relate to the Latter-day Saint faith experience and how we can all come together to better minister to those who struggle with mental health. It's free to attend virtually, and you gotta join us. For more details on the topics that we will cover during the summit and to register for free, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. My name is Brett Thompson. I'm in West Valley City, Utah. I've been hanging out with Leading Saints for a few years now and recently released as bishop and now enjoying my calling with my wife as a primary teacher. But I, I absolutely feel there needs to be a forum like Leading Saints because we need to tackle the hard stuff. We need to have open, real conversations with each other that are, that are not uh, muted by culture and limited by our unwillingness to break out. I find that not jumping in anything specific, but I find that Leading Saints provides me with something to give someone else if we're having a hard conversation, a great library of difficult subjects to tackle, whether it's suicide or pornography or marital issues gender attraction. It's been a, a great tool in my tool bag over the last several years. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, like this podcast, which we hope you subscribe to. We also have a website at leadingsaints.org with thousands of incredible articles all about leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. We host virtual summits, live events, and also have a weekly newsletter to keep you up to date on all things happening with Leading Saints. Visit leadingsaints.org for more information. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankham, the host of the Leading Saints podcast. And like I probably mentioned at the beginning of this uh, episode, we have the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit coming up on May 18th. And I want to highlight one of the 20 plus presentations that we have for the uh, during the virtual summit. And this one is with Jody Moore. Now, these sessions are handled a little bit differently where I have them give a full presentation, about 45 minutes, sort of a monologue presentation. So you won't hear a lot of me asking questions until the very end where uh, we have a great discussion. And uh, this hopefully gives you a flavor of what you'll experience during the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. So sit back and enjoy this presentation by Jody Moore. Today, I'm back with Jody Moore. How are you, Jody? So good. How are you? Very good. Now, man, we've done a variety, a handful of different podcast episodes. I think this is your second or third summit that you've participated with us. And yeah. uh, you've always got just a different angle or perspective to share you know, related to whatever topic we're, we're covering. So maybe introduce yourself and then I'll bring up your slides and uh, we'll learn from you. Then we'll do some questions at the end. 
So. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you organize these great conferences and, and I appreciate getting to participate. So I am a life coach. I work with mostly members of the church on mental and emotional health. So I'll just briefly mention the difference between a life coach and a therapist is sort of like the difference between a doctor and a personal trainer. So we go to the doctor when we're sick, that would be the equivalent of a therapist, right? Dealing with mental illness, mental dysfunction versus a life coach, more like that person that's going to help you get in shape and maybe just strengthen yourself, even though you may not be sick. So I've been doing this about seven years, worked with thousands of individuals. I speak a lot to church groups, both adults and youth. And so I'm really excited to be here and just share a little bit about my experience today. We're going to be talking today. What I'm going to speak to you a little bit about today that Kurt and I thought would be really useful is how to help our youth. Our youth are just like all of us coming off of a really strange year with the pandemic and life as we expected it certainly didn't look like what we pictured. And a lot of our attempts to protect our physical health have sort of taken a toll on our mental and emotional health. And I know that's true for all of us, but we're seeing that a lot with our youth as they are in that developmental phase where this can be even more challenging. And so what I wanted to do today, Kurt, if you'll just go to the next slide for me, is I've put together five tools that I found to be really helpful whether you're a leader over youth or a parent, or I think every single one of us has youth in our life in some form or another, these tools are applicable though for those of us trying to lead the way for our youth. So if you go to the next slide, the first tool that I want to offer is that we normalize feeling unhappy. So I really wrestled with what to call it. Do I say normalize feeling bad, normalize feeling negative emotion, and both the word bad and negative have that connotation that something's wrong. And that's why I just called it feeling unhappy. But it's going to show up for our youth just like it does for us as adults in a variety of different formats. Might be worry, anxiety, stress, fear, disappointment, anger, whatever is not happiness. I think it's really powerful to give our kids permission to feel that way. In the past, we have, with good intentions, sent some messages that I don't think are useful. In other words, we've said a lot of like, just choose happiness. Happiness is a choice. Well, I think that's a powerful thing to teach at times, but there is an underlying message that there's something wrong if you don't choose happiness. And one of the most useful things that I found both for myself and for the youth that I have worked with is when they come to me and say, I feel really anxious, instead of me diving in saying, why do you feel anxious? What's the matter? And trying to solve for it as though it's a problem, I begin by saying, do you know what? It's okay to feel anxious. You're a human being. You're going to feel anxious at times. In fact, I feel anxious at times. We all do. It's a normal part of being a human. And it doesn't mean that we don't go talk about why and address that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the first step is that I like to allow them to understand or offer the, to them anyway, the idea that nothing is wrong. If you think about it, when we get the flu or we get COVID or something like that, right? We're like, oh, something's wrong. We got to fix that. And many of us talk about negative emotions in the same way. If, if my friend says to me, my child has a lot of anxiety, what they mean is something's wrong. And what I believe is that actually Heavenly Father created us, including all of our emotions, both the ones that feel great and the ones that don't, 
and that nothing is wrong. That, that child doesn't have the flu, doesn't have, although I will say, that, of course, there are cases of chemical and hormonal imbalance, which is where you want to seek a clinical specialist. But for the most part, negative emotion is just a normal. And in fact, not, not only is it okay, it's actually really useful. There's a reason Heavenly Father gave us all those emotions. So by way of example, let's go to the next slide. I want to talk to you about a study that was done on stress. So this comes from Kelly McGonigal, excuse me,'s book, which is called The Upside of Stress. There was a study done in 1998. They took 30,000 adults in the United States and they asked them these two questions. They said, how much stress have you experienced in the past year? So they were looking for whether or not these individuals were stressed. And then they said, do you believe that stress is harmful for your health? Now, most of us have lived in a world and grown up in a world where we were taught that stress is not good for us. We were taught that we need to manage our stress. We need to minimize stress. And in fact, stress can lead to heart disease and high blood pressure and ulcers and all other kinds of problems. So most of us were taught that stress was not good for us, right? But this study, if you go to the next slide, here's what we discovered. They took the participants of the study and divided them into three different groups, okay? Group one was individuals that said, yes, I've experienced quite a bit of stress, high stress, and I believe that stress is harmful. I've been taught it's not good for you. Group number two was full of individuals who said, I've experienced a lot of stress, but that's okay. I don't think stress is really bad for you. I think it's fine. I don't love it, but I don't necessarily think it's harmful. Group number three said, I'm pretty low stress. I don't feel like I've had a lot of stress. Okay, so I want you to just take a guess as to which group, and I'll tell you the things that they looked for in this study were both length of life, so who died <laughs> the earliest, but also who had the optimal amount of physical health and mental and emotional health? Who had overall the happiest lives? And some of us might have thought at one point at least that group number three did the best, the ones that had low stress. But what this study revealed was that actually group number two was the most successful, the healthiest physically and emotionally and mentally and had the lives that they wanted. In other words, individuals that experienced stress but didn't necessarily think that the stress was bad for them, fared better. And there's a whole bunch more to this study that I won't get into today, but actually what they concluded and what Kelly McGonigal teaches in her book is that believing that stress is bad for you is what causes heart disease, ulcers, high blood pressure, all the things that we've been worrying about, not stress itself. Stress itself is actually very useful. Stress tells us to focus. Stress tells us pay attention. Stress says, reach out for help because you have more here on your plate than you can handle. So stress actually, and again, there's a whole book on this, but stress is actually good for us. And that is not only true of stress, that's true of anxiety, fear, all the other emotions that Heavenly Father created within us. Okay, so that's tool number one. Remember that nothing's wrong when a youth that you're talking to tells you they feel negative emotion and your first response shouldn't be, oh no, how do we get rid of this? It needs to be, all right, that's okay. That's because you're a human. We can do this. And that is tool number one. So let's go to number two. Number two thing I want to offer to you is to focus more on thoughts and less on actions when you are speaking to youth. It's natural for us to talk about what we should do. Okay, so let's say you're dealing with a youth who is trying to stop some kind of a bad habit. Okay, maybe they're engaging with pornography or something. 
natural tendency is for us to go to actions. Do this, don't do this. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just much more powerful to spend more time than what we are doing right now focusing on their thoughts, focusing on what they're believing, what they're thinking, what is driving that behavior in the first place is always thoughts. Okay. So action, focusing on action is sort of like putting a band-aid on a broken arm. We don't want to just put a band-aid or even just taking Advil for a broken arm. Yes, it might minimize the pain, but ultimately we want to understand where the bone is broken. We want to properly cast it. We want to heal that broken bone, not just take Advil or stick a band-aid on there as a temporary fix. Okay. So that comes from just having discussions with youth, not just about what do you do or what are you going to do differently, but like, what are you thinking when that happens? What's the story you're believing? What are you thinking now that you've made a mistake? What do you, a lot of the youth I've been talking to are having a lot of mixed thoughts about the future. They're saying things like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future because I thought this year I was going to go to the prom and now it seems like I'm not and I'm just scared. What if my future doesn't turn out? So those are all thoughts, right? And I say to them, you know, you get to believe anything you want to about the future. And you thought you knew what the future was going to be before, but you didn't. Just like we never actually know the future. And we just spend some time discussing it, right? Instead of going straight to action, like, well, just make good decisions and go to college and (laughs) keep the commandments. That's all good advice. But there's a whole nother layer underneath, which is what they might be believing. There's a scripture on the next slide here I want to share with you. Actually, a couple scriptures. Let's go to this one first. In Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So notice in this scripture, the Lord is talking to us about like, listen, I'm not like you. He does talk about action. He says, my ways are not your ways. But he begins by saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think about things the same way you do. I think about things on a higher level. I think about things on a more eternal level, or he he has a greater level of understanding, right? And that our goal is not just to become like the Lord in the way that we behave, but in the way that we think. That is our goal. And I think that's a really important part of it. There's another scripture on the next slide here that comes from Mosiah. And this is King Benjamin talking to his people. One of my favorite verses of scripture where he says, but this much I can tell you that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts, keyword, your thoughts, and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God and continue in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of your lives, ye must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. So I personally, when he says ye must perish, I mean, what does King Benjamin mean by that? All of us are ultimately going to die as far as our mortal experience. I think that there's a lot more to it than that. I think it has to do with the quality of our life, the quality of of what we're able to experience, but also to produce and create. And I think that this scripture is about more than just making sure we don't have impure thoughts. I think that might be a component of it, but I think there's so much more, which is you have to choose your thoughts intentionally. And yes, choose your actions, your words, your deeds, and everything as well. But choose the way you're going to think about yourself and the world. And so I love the idea that when you're, you're working with youth, you want to have discussions about what they are thinking, because another really important principle of our doctrine is agency. And most people tend to think of agency as the ability to choose what you're going to do, but it's also the ability to choose what you're going to think and to choose how you're going to feel. 
and to choose how you're going to respond to any particular situation. And that level of agency is a skill that our youth can develop. They're open to it, but we have to offer it to them. And to me, it's as simple as youth might, again, back to the young woman who asked me, what about my future? I'm worried about it. I said, that's one way to think about it. Let's think about some other ways we could think about it. And I'm just simply offering alternative thoughts. And I use language like that to emphasize that it is a choice. How you're going to think about things is a choice. And I think that's a choice that the Lord wants us to own. So let's go to tool number three. Number three is to teach our youth how to feel their feelings. I know this sounds very woo-woo. Stay with me. (laughs) Okay. I promise you it's not. It's actually very powerful. So again, when, when a youth comes to me and says, I'm feeling anxious, Sister Moore, first thing I do is I say, it's totally okay. You know, we all get anxious sometimes. We're human beings. And then we might talk about what they're thinking, but I always also go to this. So when we have a negative emotion come up, we have three options, which I've outlined on the next slide. We can either resist that emotion, avoid it, or feel it. And let me speak to each of these for just a moment. Resisting emotion is when we tighten up against it. We're sort of trying to push it away, sort of mad about it. This is why I think Kelly McGonigal's study on stress is so powerful because it's not the stress itself that creates problems. It's us resisting stress. It's us tightening against it. It's us being stressed about being stressed, right? Being worried that I'm so anxious, being ashamed that I'm so disappointed, feeling guilty that I'm struggling. Okay, so when we layer the emotion about the negative emotion, that's us resisting and it doesn't help it doesn't help the emotion get lighter. It actually just adds negative emotion on top of negative emotion and pretty soon it be, we become this tight ball, okay? That is not healthy. That's what the only thing most people know to do. Number 2 option we have is to avoid our feelings. Now, I think if you can avoid a negative emotion if you can escape it, There are some times when there are healthy ways to do that, and I'm all for that. Like sometimes if I'm feeling anxious or stressed and I just go for a walk or a short jog, it really helps me sort of get rid of that feeling. Probably a healthy way to handle it. So I'm I'm not saying avoiding it is always bad, but we have a lot of ways of avoiding emotion that are very toxic in our world. Or some of the ones that even can be healthy in moderation can become toxic in excess. So again, exercise in excess, not healthy. We can become addicted to exercise. Social media is an escape from emotion. A little bit of social media, I like that. A lot of social media, probably creating a different problem. Might help me escape boredom or loneliness or or some other emotion. But now I have this other problem of of this addiction to social media. We have addiction to food. We have alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, shopping, addiction to shopping, right? Again, as you can see, some of these things in moderation are probably fine. Some of them, not a good idea probably (laughs) to get involved with at all. And I really do feel for our youth because they're growing up in a world. And I feel like this makes me sound old because I remember like (laughs) leaders saying this when I was a youth, but they're like, I feel so bad for you. Your world is so hard. But I do think it gets more challenging with every generation and our youth have an easy button. Number two, that avoiding emotion is just like, let me just hit the easy button. Instead of feeling this way, let me just get on my phone. Instead of feeling awkward, socially awkward, let me just get on my phone. Let me just escape it in this way. There are escapes everywhere. 
And so we just want to be aware of that and be aware that what we're doing is escaping emotion. And what's the healthiest and most empowering thing is number three, which is just to feel your feelings, to not have to run away from them, to not have to escape them. And I'll tell you the way that you do that. It's actually really simple. All you do is instead of tightening up, you just take a deep breath and relax. And I personally sort of talk to it in my head. So I'll go, okay, worry. I guess we're going to hang out today. You have to sort of welcome the emotion. Taking a deep breath helps because emotions are just neurochemicals, uh, hormones circulating throughout the body. So we don't want to resist them. We want to like relax so that they can circulate and sort of run their course and then be gone. And when you open up to it and you say, all right, worry, I guess, I guess you're coming with me today. Like I got this meeting that's going to happen and I got to pick the kids up from school and you're going to come with me. Like, why don't you just get in my purse and let's go. And I just allow it to come with me. All the while I breathe, I try to get into my body and relax into it and try to feel what does it even feel like? What's so terrible about these emotions that we're trying to run away from them? Do you know what? They're not that terrible. They're actually not a big deal at all. When you just relax and allow them. So let me circle back to working with youth here. If I have somebody saying to me, I feel really anxious, Sister Moore, I say, well, that's okay. You know, you're human. And then I say, what does it feel like? Now, a lot of times they'll give me thoughts, which is good. I Remember, I'm interested in their thoughts. So let's say I'm just so worried about school or I'm worried about my mom or something like this, right? But what I want them to do is to get in their body and feel the sensation. So I'll say, but what does anxiety feel like to you? Do you feel it in your stomach? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your throat? And I watch them. Their eyes always go up in their head as they try to find it. And they'll say, yeah, in my stomach. And I'll go, okay, is it tight? Is it queasy? Is it sharp? What does it feel like? What's so terrible about it? What's the big deal about it? And as we together decide what it feels like, it always causes the emotion to minimize because now they're relaxing. They're actually trying to feel it as I ask them these questions. And I say, listen, just take a breath and just feel it for a minute. It's okay. You can do it. Your body knows what to do with it. Heavenly Father created you and your body, and it knows what to do with anxiety. And after we've processed it, then, like I said, we can discuss some of the thoughts creating it, and I can offer them alternative thoughts. I have another scripture to go with this one here. In 2 Nephi, we're told, for it must needs be that there's an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass, neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, nor good, nor bad. Wherefore, all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption happiness nor misery, neither sense nor insensibility. So to me, this scripture is a reminder that we are going to have opposition within us. That's what makes us the most alive, right? Heavenly Father created us this way on purpose. We're not just supposed to feel happy all the time. That's why I have a podcast called Better Than Happy, because I think happiness is great, but I think that its opposite is required for us to really experience happiness and that those emotions are meant to help us navigate the world. And so when we learn how to just feel them, we develop the most possible confidence. Again, if I don't have to escape it, I don't have to resist it, I don't have to be afraid of it, I don't have to talk myself out of it, then I become very powerful because I'm not afraid of negative emotion. So I'm not afraid to go introduce myself to someone 
or try something new because the worst thing that could happen is maybe I'll fail and I'll be embarrassed or maybe they'll reject me and I'll, I'll feel rejected. But if I know how to feel embarrassed and I know how to feel rejected and I know what to do with them, then it's okay. That's the worst thing that could happen. Let's go. Let's show up in the world. Let's live our lives. All right. So let's go to number four. The fourth tool that I recommend is to seek to minimize shame. I feel really passionate about this one because I think that shame is a tool that the adversary uses. I know, Kurt, you and I have had a lot of discussions about this, about how shame, which is, you know, shame is just the idea that something's wrong with me, that I'm not good enough. It is a natural part of our human experience, but it is a toxic part of our human experience. I have a quote here from Brene Brown on the next slide. It says, and Brene Brown is a, a famous sociologist and shame researcher, and she did a famous TED Talk called Listening to Shame that you can look up if you want, where she said, shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. It's an epidemic in our culture. So shame is toxic. And this is tricky as leaders, as church leaders and parents who are trying to guide our children and encourage them to make good decisions and to keep the commandments and to repent when they don't, it's easy for shame or the message of shame to slip in there, whether we mean it or not. And I just think we have to be really cautious about combating that. As Brene Brown said, it's an epidemic in our, our, our culture. She gives us some advice. If you'll go to the next slide where she continues on in the same TED talk to say, if we're going to find our way back to each other, we have to understand and know empathy because empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. So in other words, if we are reprimanding our teenagers in such a way that they feel that they should do a better job hiding when they've messed up, that is the environment that shame thrives in. We don't want to encourage secrecy and silence and judgment, whether it be our judgment, someone else's judgment, or their own judgment of themselves. All of those things fuel shame. And I've seen that over and over again with the clients I've worked with. The alternative, like Brene Brown says, me too. So if I'm counseling with the youth, you know, maybe you're a bishop, maybe they're telling you about some transgressions that are serious. It doesn't have to be me too. I get it. I do that same thing, right? But it can be, hey, I'm a human too. I understand. I understand what it's like to give into temptation. I understand what it's like to mess up and to feel bad. I understand what it's like to struggle and to to be looking for an easy escape, I understand what that's like. And I do want to share one personal story here where I had a bishop that really changed my life so much. He really impacted me. He probably doesn't even remember me because it was a student ward where people are just coming and going like crazy, right? But Bishop Steve Lang in California, he, you know, I, I went in, I, I needed to counsel with him about some areas of my life that were a little bit off track. And I was so filled with shame as I'm sure is often the case, right? When you go talk to a bishop, you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and, and I was just emotional. And I remember him saying to me, tell me somebody 
in your life that you really love? And I said, my sister, Natalie, we're really close. And he wrote her name down on a little yellow sticky note, Natalie. And he said, okay, so if, if Natalie came to you and she told me what you just told me, and she had done what you've just done, how would you feel about Natalie? And I said, oh my gosh, I would just tell her that I love her and that it's okay and we'll get through this. And, and he said, yeah, so that's just a tiny little example of how Heavenly Father feels about you. He feels that way about you times 10. And that was so powerful for me because I, I felt when that bishop told me that, when he, he t tried to steer me away from shame into feeling loved and accepted, I felt the Spirit confirm that. And the truth is we, one of the things I teach as a coach is that we make our thoughts true in the end. So if I think there's something wrong with me and I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy of God's love, I'm ultimately going to create that reality. But if I think it's okay, He loves me and I can get back on track and He doesn't love me any less when I'm living righteously than when I'm not, then I'm going to make that true for myself in my own experience. It's always true that, that God loves us, but, but I will experience that if I believe that. And so I think that remembering that we have to be careful about the way we teach principles that we don't encourage shame is really important. Okay, fifth and final tool I have is to stop labeling everything anxiety. When I say everything, I mean all emotions that we don't love. And that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I just wanted it to fit on my slide. We don't label everything that, but anxiety is such a buzzword. Notice I've used it probably seven times <laughs> throughout this 30 minutes I've been talking to you because we call everything anxiety just because it's something we become aware of. And sometimes it is anxiety, but let me give this example. So when my daughter was in like second or third grade, she went to school and they taught a presentation on bullying. And she came home and said, mom, I learned about bullying today. I learned what a bully is and I learned how important it is to not bully kids and what to do if you're being bullied. And so bullying was the hot word at the time. And for many years after that, she would come home from school and say, mom, I got bullied today. And I was like, you did? What happened? And, and she'd say, well, they were picking groups. And this kid said, well, I don't want Macy in our group. I was like, well, that wasn't very nice. I'm sorry that happened. I don't know if I'd label that bullying necessarily. I think that was just a kid kind of being a little bit too honest and not very nice. And I'm so sorry that happened. But because bullying was the label in her mind, she started labeling everything bullying, right? And that's a little bit what we've done with anxiety. When I go speak to youth, the word anxiety always comes up. And I do think that we have a lot of you struggling with anxiety, but I also think a lot of them are just labeling it that. And then again, thinking, see, this is a problem. I need to fix it. So if somebody says to me, whether it be one of my kids, a youth I'm talking to, or a friend of mine even, I have anxiety, I say, what's going on? And a lot of times they'll describe to me, well, I have a big project due at school, or I have finals, or I have whatever, I didn't make the team. And I sometimes offer a different label. I'll say something like, well, it sounds like you're just really disappointed. It sounds like you have stress. It sounds like you have overwhelm. It sounds like you're fearful. And is that true? And the only reason I do that is I think that we all, we have a lot of baggage around the word anxiety, and I'm trying to minimize some of that for them. And I think that increasing our emotional vocabulary and having more words to go to than just anxiety can be useful. I have a quote here from Psychology Today. 
talking about our need to increase our emotional vocabulary. He says, the earlier we can recognize the signs in our bodies, in other words, the feelings in our bodies, as feelings that need to be expressed, and the better we become at accurately identifying them, the better our chances at learning how to manage them. So there's a whole bunch of data and research out about this today that if if I can more accurately label that negative emotion, what it truly is, I become more empowered around it. I've discovered that for me, restlessness is a common visitor. It's not stress always. It's not even boredom. It's restless. It's this kind of like, what should I do? I don't quite have time to do what I need, but I kind of want to do this other thing instead. It's restless. And so again, just keeping in mind that everything is not anxiety. <laughs> okay. Last thing I want to share with you, last slide here. I think it's so important that we have to work on up-leveling our own emotional health as well. We have to get better at doing all of these things. We have to get better at understanding how to feel feelings because when we know how to feel them and we realize they're not dangerous, then we react differently when those that we are trying to guide come to us with them. And when we learn how to examine our own thoughts and choose our thoughts, we can help others to do that. So I think all of this, I always am my first client. I'm always trying to get better at it myself, but those are the five tools I have. So what's confusing, Kurt? Let's discuss. You got it. That was great. You nailed it. <laughs> Phenomenal. I don't know what else we can do here, but <laughs> actually I do have a, a list of thoughts and, and questions oh, here. You know, just starting out, just like this, this idea of normalizing feelings is it's like, like when you sit with that, it's so like uh, thought provoking and there's yeah. so much you can do with that. And, and it led me to an example that in my own life that just happened last night, I have a six-year-old boy and last Saturday he was on his bike, he fell and he split his lip open. Like it was pretty gnarly. And so we had to go to the Instacare and get it stitched up. And uh, he was a champ. He like barely cried and we were all proud of him. But the doctor told him, he said, it told us anyways, like for about two or so days, don't drink water or any drink from a cup because it may prematurely make the, the stitches dissolve. And yeah. so he's like, all right, I can do that. So we've been very hypervigilant about, <laughs> about making sure he has a straw yeah. and he's yeah. drinking from a straw. Okay. Well, last night, uh, and it's been that time period has, has passed, but he's still pretty diligent with drinking from a straw. So he goes last night, he goes in the kitchen to get a drink. And suddenly I hear him like, startle and then he runs over and he and suddenly he says dad I, I, it, it was an accident I, I and he just breaks down in tears and just starts crying about oh, it. he's like I didn't, and, and it was through these tears he could barely get the words out he was so disturbed he's like i i forgot to drink from the from straw, straw right <laughs> now as a father like at first i'm like what happened is something on fire like he was yeah. very you could tell like this was an intense moment he was having yeah so as a father i'm freaking out like what's going on what's going on and then when I realized what had happened and he is so disturbed by it, naturally as a father, I want to say like, tase him, like, listen, like, it's all okay. Like, forget about that. We've, the doctor said two days or past the two days. It's not going to impact your stitches. You're fine. Yeah. You know, but instead I sort of tried to just sit with him in that moment of mm. feeling like that panic and that, you know, the uncertainty of maybe I've made a mistake. Right. And then, and I just sort of tried to say, wow, you were afraid that your stitches are going to fall out too soon, huh? He's like, yeah, I was. And oh, wow. And then once we sort of came around to maybe stabilizing feelings, we had a conversation about, 
Well, guess what? The doctor actually said that you could drink out of a cup at this point. So mm. feel free to drink out of a cup. But again, it's, yes. it's such a hard, like, like on paper, it makes sense. But in mm-hmm. practice, sometimes you, you need your to that totally. response of like, no, 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 it's all okay. It's all okay. Yeah. Like, that's, don't be a don't, don't feel that way. Right. Yes. I think it is natural, but just takes a little bit of awareness of how powerful it is because you slowing it down like that mm-hmm. and just sh- taking a moment to use that as an opportunity to teach your son how to feel fear is such a gift because one day he's going to be older and it's going to be, I forgot to file my taxes or or something, you know, like it's, it's going to feel more legitimately scary, but you've taught him how to feel fear. And I like to use those little opportunities that aren't dangerous where, you know, he's not in danger and, and nothing's gone wrong. And sometimes the verbiage that helps me remember to do it is this is the part. So I'll say to my kids, oh, this is the part of being a human when you feel afraid because yeah. you're thinking you've made a mistake. Isn't it crazy? Like, it, I know it doesn't feel good. It makes you cry, but it's notice how your chest feels right now. Feel heavy. Does it feel fast? Do you feel hotter or cooler? Like, as if I can, I'll try to keep a minute for a moment. And I'm like, this is the part. Like, we're on a journey as humans. And I'm a little bit ahead of you. I've felt fear more often than you. So I'm like, this is the part where you feel afraid. This is the part where whatever. And then just like you said, then I'll go offer them some other thoughts. So you don't actually have to be afraid because nothing's wrong here. But right. now they're empowered around, I can do fear. I did it with my mom. We did it together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. And then moving this example, I so much appreciated this, these perspectives you shared as far like moving that, this concept into like the Bishop's office or into a more yes. church leadership context where, for example, if a youth comes in and shares a transgression or a sin that they've done, like, it's so easy to immediately go to, well, isn't it great that we have Christ? Like, isn't it great that he paid for everything? Like, you don't even have to worry about this anymore. Like moving right. on, right? Or or just focusing on the behavior of, okay, well, let's let's get that worked out so that that doesn't happen again. But right. to take a moment and make space for yes. to, of that feeling of guilt and even shame that, that may have cropped up in there and just be like, wow, like you're having a human experience right now with guilt. Like, yeah. Where where do you feel that? Like, what is that like? Right. I think that's such a healing, yes. effective uh, process to go through. I love that. And to to follow it up with like, I've felt that before, too. Yeah. You know, like so it's not like a judgmental like this is the part where you struggle and you you pay for it. But it's just like, oh, this is the part after a transgression where you feel terrible. I can mm-hmm. relate to that. And that's because you have the light of Christ within you. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't feel terrible. but yeah, it doesn't feel great, right? But we can do it, and then now, and then we can move on to the the getting feeling better. Yeah, yeah, and because the the atonement of Jesus Christ is so immense, and it's like, man, like we we have it. Like, let's use it as quickly as possible. And of course, right. that's what's happening. But right, sometimes right. our mortal experience, we just have to slow it down before we get to the part of, and you know what, Christ made this okay. You know, like yes. just letting it process is helpful. Yes. I love that. And then with like this idea of normalizing stress, and man, this. You said like, uh, I don't remember verbatim how you said it, but like, we're not just trying to become like God, but we're actually trying to think like God as well. And that's like such yeah. a powerful thought to me of like, that's so true. Like, I want to learn how God thinks so that yeah. I can maybe mimic those habits and become more like him. Um, yeah. And sometimes we joke around and, and I don't know about you, Jody, but sometimes I assume that when we get to heaven or celestial glory, we just eat pie all day. Because, because if we pie in, in immortality, <laughs> yeah. we would get fat and die, right? But not, not, but in, not in the next life. <laughs> we can just eat pie all day. 
but like I, I, I've learned just through my experience, like stepping back and saying like, well, what if actually pie is still unhealthy for us in heaven, but we actually don't want it. Like we've become to this level where we don't want things that are unhealthy. We actually would prefer broccoli over pie, right? And that's that would be weird. I, I don't know awesome. if that's heaven, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Healthy. And I spoke to some youth recently about, and we were talking about this topic. You know, there's the old quote: "What would Jesus do?" What would Christ? Yeah. And there's the bracelets: WWJD, right? What would yeah. Jesus do? I'm like, that's a great question. Like, you can't go wrong asking yourself that question. But what about if we asked ourselves, "What would Jesus think?" And again, I, I spoke to a group recently and about, you know, the pandemic and the last year, There's it, these were all high school seniors. So they're all like, we didn't get to go to prom. We didn't get to have graduation. And I said, okay, so what do you think Christ would think in this situation? Do you think he'd be, he'd want to be disappointed? And they all, we all agreed he might. Yeah, he might be disappointed. Then I'd say, do you think he'd be fearful that the future's not going to be what it's supposed to be and that something's gone wrong. And they all agreed, no, I don't think he thinks that. He would think that. I think he'd think everything's right on track. So there's like a clean pain of like, this is an appropriate emotion that you're going to want to allow. Let's get good at feeling it. And then like, there's the the ultimate, the way Christ would think would be, he has faith in God and his plan. And, and we can do both. We can hold space for both. Yeah. Yeah. So, so powerful. And I, so as you were talking to us, I just thought of the, you know, nor, as far as normalizing stress, like how, how powerful a thought that is or, or a concept to, to consider that oftentimes we think like, well, when we become like God, we live in a place where there's no stress, like heaven is just beautiful and there's zero stress. But what if actually there is stress, but we have developed so much as an eternal being that we're, we're able to handle that stress. And so what an important skill set to begin to learn and develop and experience here in mortality is not saying yeah. like I need stress to go away, but say, well, stress is here, but I know how to handle it or I'm learning how to yes. handle it. And Kelly McGonigal's book will convert you that that's probably the case. Like, right? she, <laughs> cool. I mean, the upside of stress is her book and it's like uh, stress is a very useful thing that we just have yeah. to get better at. So, yeah. And this other, you know, going back to feeling guilt, like I, I love the three options you shared, resist, avoid, or feel it. And I think a lot of times in our, when it comes to the feeling of guilt, the feeling of inadequacy, all these things, like we often want to give solutions to, to avoid that Get or rid of them. resist it. Right. But man, what a powerful, again, exercise to sort of sit with them in that feeling and just help them experience it. So that, cause they're going to experience it again, right? If it goes right. away, it's still going to come back. Right. That's right. Yeah. And I just, even just having them take a deep breath, you know, you think about like, it's the most obvious in young children cause they don't know how to resist yet. So they just get upset and cry and have a tantrum yeah. and it kind of comes out, but they are tightening. And I always just say, okay, let's just breathe. Like my little kids know, I'm like, take a breath. <gasps> And I make them do it with their mouth so I can see. I'm like, you're not breathing. Breathe out. I want to see you. And they'll stop and they'll breathe. And just breathing alone helps relax everything in the body. This is why, again, meditation and breath work and all that is so such an important component of emotional health. But even if you don't, you know, if you're not comfortable helping them find it in their body, just to remind people, take a breath and relax and just be sad if you want to be sad or be scared mm -hmm. if you want to be scared. I, I want to share one other story, which is why my daughter, one of my kids, when she was little, we were going to the doctor and she was going to have to get shots 
you know, and she's old enough to know what's going on. And so we get to the doctor and she starts crying immediately. And I, this was years ago, I start trying to talk her out of it. I'm like, it's okay, honey, settle down. Don't be scared. Mommy's right here. It's going to be fine. You know, and I immediately start helping her resist it. (laughs) And the doctor said, she was a woman doctor. And she said to my daughter, no, just go ahead and cry. Are you scared? If you're scared, you should just cry. And I was like, (laughs) what are you doing to my child? What's going on here? (laughs) But it was so powerful. I realized like, yeah, it's okay if she can cry. This doctor has seen crying kids before. I don't need to try to, she's like, you know, if you're scared, you should just cry. And it was just a powerful example of like, nothing's wrong. It's natural for her to be scared that she doesn't want to get a shot and we don't have to always talk them out of it. So anyway. (laughs) And I I love, I appreciate your emphasis on the concept of shame. And like you said, we've talked about it at length before, but the way you uh, framed it, just maybe realize, I mean, we talk about, you know, what's the difference between guilt and shame, but really shame is like the feeling of guilt gone wild, like gotten out of control where it, Mm. it, when feelings aren't addressed or digested or, or felt like they can then progress onto infecting our, our personal identity. And that's really what shame does, right? It it impacts who we are, who we are, who we, who we think we are, our perception of ourselves. And so Again, why it's so important to normalize these feelings, help them feel it, process it. Because if we don't, if we dismiss it or avoid it, resist it, then it goes wild and can turn into shame that's almost unbearable to fix. Like it's just so heavy when somebody's experienced uh, shame because of these feelings. Yeah. And and Brene Brown does talk a lot about that, actually. You know, her statistics I shared on how shame is so toxic. She goes on to say that actually guilt is, pretty useful and and helps us course correct and helps us just identify changes that we want to make. I just find that it's very unusual for someone who's feeling a lot of guilt not to go right to shame. Yeah. I I rarely see somebody go, oh yeah, that was useful information. Okay, let's fix it and move on. Like they a shame almost always tries to creep in. And so I think just to be aware of you know, again, if you're a bishop and somebody's there counseling with you, odds are they already feel guilty or they wouldn't be there. And they probably don't need more help feeling guilty. (laughs) They probably need help now redirecting in most cases, I would assume. Yeah. 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 And and I love that the concept of sort of seeing these feelings like guilt is sort of your friend, like, look, my friend guilt got me here to this bishop's office. Like, I don't know if I would have would come here seeking help without my friend guilt here. That's and so right. let's recognize guilt for what he's done and you yeah, know, thanks, pat him guilt. on the head and, right? <laughs> and, and, now uh, and make sure that, that guilt doesn't call his evil twin shame and That's bring right. shame here. Cause we don't need shame as we go through this process, but isn't guilt wonderful that he got you here to this chair in this office. And now we can talk about the, some of these other things you're feeling, you know? And let me just add on there's, I can't remember who the woman is that teaches this, but she, but she says that guilt is an indicator that you have two conflicting desires happening. So it, let's say I stole something from the store. So I have the desire for that thing that I maybe don't have the money to buy, but then I have this desire to be honest and to not steal. And that's where guilt says, wait, these two things don't match up. And so guilt is information. So if we take it and go, okay, do I want to keep this belief that I don't want to steal? Yes, I want to keep that. Do I want to keep the desire for the thing. Well, maybe I just want to manage that a little and I want to not have it control me. 
we do experience guilt sometimes for two seemingly conflicting desires that are both desires we want to keep. For example, you know, maybe I go to the gym and I feel guilty leaving my kids at home, or I feel guilty that they didn't want me to leave and they miss me, but I want to go to the gym and exercise. So I take a look at them. Do I want to exercise? Do I want to give myself time? Yes. Do I want to be there for my kids? Yes. Okay. So I want to keep both of those. So that means I just need to go, okay, guilt. Like you said, thanks for coming along and pointing out to me that I have these conflicting desires, but you can leave now because neither one of these is a problem. I'm just going to make a decision in the end and I don't need to feel guilty all the time. Yeah. So anyway. Really good. Really good. And this concept of increasing our emotional emotional vocabulary is fascinating because you're right. Like I hadn't thought about it, but Sometimes we just throw away that anxious uh, label like, oh, you're, that's anxiety, anxiety yeah. this, you know, and yeah. it is sort of a nice umbrella term at times, mm-hmm. but there is power in maybe increasing the, the your emotional vocabulary. Uh, yeah. And so like, what's, what's the process of doing that other than maybe going to a thesaurus or something? <laughs> I honestly you- give my clients a list of like 200 emotion words hmm. and we do look at it sometimes. Because sometimes we're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's the one. I wouldn't have thought of that, but it is, the, that describes it so much better than whatever I was saying. So I, I, it's honestly, is the, although it sounds silly, like going to a thesaurus is not a bad idea. I think as my kids are getting older, I even want to like print that and put it on our bulletin board with all the other stuff we have up there. And for my sake, as much as anything, so that when I'm talking to them, when my you know, when my 14 year old says to me, I just feel nervous about going on the camp out. I'm like, was it nervous? Tell me what's going on. And as he gives me his thoughts, I'm thinking, what emotion is this? It's discomfort. It's anticipation. You know, it's so I'm just trying to. And again, the only reason for that is because we have more leverage over it when we name it more accurately. Mm. So, yeah. And that's, I think there's a helpful tactic I think a church leader could use is maybe getting a yeah. list of different emotions and yes. and really narrowing down what this person's experiencing. Because even guilt can sort of be a general label that we throw around, you know, but maybe there's something more to that uh, feeling of guilt that would help that person progress if we can really identify what it is. So, and a side note, it's just sort of funny, maybe not directly related, but as I took my son to the, uh, we were in the ER and uh, with the nurse in the room and she went to the uh, the pain level chart, right? Yes. And uh, one through 10, right? And she yes. asked my six-year-old, what level of pain are you feeling? And obviously for him, there was some emoji type characters above it. Yeah. You know, from Happy, a smile sad. on the one end to a <laughs> tears on level 10. And, he's, and he pointed at level 10. He's like, yeah, I was crying. That was it. So I jokingly told everybody, uh, my wife and the other women in my life and like, Oh, Taysom now knows what, it, what childbirth feels like. Cause he split his <laughs> Cause he was like open, in so. excruciating pain. He was an extreme level 10 pain. Anyways, <laughs> that um, is powerful though. Like, because we're looking for the change, right. And, and right. the doctors are looking for the physical change, but, but emotionally we can do the same thing actually. Like, yeah. where are you on the scale? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I asked the nurse, please don't bring him morphine. I think he'll be fine. But, uh, anyway. I, I really think that's an exaggeration. <laughs> right. And then I just want to underscore like the tactic that you, that that bishop used with you, which was basically, I mean, he helped you separate yourself from what you were going through and yes. step back from it and look at it in, a, in, you know, in the framing with somebody else that you loved. And man, what a helpful exercise to use with somebody when they're just so buried in shame. 
you know, I think that's. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, I remember him writing it on a sticky note because we, he put that sticky note inside the cover of my scriptures. And he said, every time you're feeling really bad, I just want you to open it and look at Natalie's name and remember that you're mm-hmm. loved. And then the other thing he did is he, and so that would speak more to the thoughts and the feelings part. And then he, he did address behavior. He said, listen, this is my cell phone number. He wrote it down, put it on another sticky note. And he said, I just want you to call me and I'm not going to answer, but just call my voicemail. I don't want once a week or whatever. And tell me I did a really good job this week mm-hmm. and that's it. And I'm not going to answer. And, and yeah. so just like, he's amazing. He's been a Bishop like 25 times. Cause he's so good at it. I'm like, you should stop being so good at it. Maybe you'll get a break. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's anyway. awesome wherever uh, hopefully he uh here's the shout out that yeah, we're giving him right on this, so awesome well i think that's that's all my questions just again jody just so helpful and maybe stepping back and understanding some of these these concepts because in in you know in the context of the summit of mental health you know it's easy sort of default to the extreme you know chemical imbalances and deep yeah. de- clinical depression and these things but a lot of time, just these simple tactics that we can maybe understand and use really help level out some of that, uh, those variabilities in the mental health that of individuals we work with and even ourselves, right? Because yes. there's still shame and guilt and different anxious feelings that a church leader feels that sometimes they don't know how to reconcile or they feel it stimulates further guilt and shame because they think, I don't think I'm supposed to be feeling that that feeling because I'm in this position, right? So right, right. really good approach to, to mental mental health. So I have one more question for you, but hey. if there anywhere, uh, obviously there, uh, if people want to follow more about what you do, if they're not familiar with, with your platform and the, the advice yeah. and help that you give, where would you send them? Yeah. So I have a podcast called Better Than Happy. That's a great resource. And then you can go to jodymore.com. There's lots of tools there. You can find me on Instagram if you want, Facebook, but just my website will be a great place to get started. Jodymore.com. Yeah. Awesome. Last question I have for you, Jody, is just if you're in a room full of leaders who are desperate to be a better minister to uh, individuals who struggle with mental health, what final encouragement would you give them? This is going to sound like odd advice, but I think I would say to embrace that you are going to do an amazing job and you're not going to do a very good job in some ways. So I think all of us, again, if we go back to opposition and all things, we're going to have things that we're good at and things that we're just not good at. And when we're mad that we're not good at it or we judge ourselves for being not good at it, we just layer more negative on top of the negative. So I'm always trying to tell people, let's embrace all of you. Let's embrace that you're really good at some things and you're really not good at other things. And that's okay. And you can reach out for help in the areas you're not good. You can work on getting better. You can rely on the, that's why we have the atonement to make up the difference. But this idea, like, I just want to be a good young woman's president, or I just want to be a good camp director. I just coached a woman on that. I was like, what if we take the pressure off and just decide, I'm just going to be the camp director and I'm going to do some of it well and some of it, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. So I, I would say to give yourself that grace because actually from that place, you become so much better at it. And it's just more fun. That concludes this presentation and interview with uh, Jody Moore. A shout out to her. She is always so giving to the Leading Saints community. You know, if you're not following her podcast and all the good that she's doing and her platform, definitely take the time to, to check it out. By now, you've seen just the quality. I think at this point that we've published three different sessions from the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. It's going to be awesome. I've listened to every last session because <laughs> I uh, hosted each one. 
And uh, it's so good. I think you'll find it so helpful. It's free to attend and watch. And so wherever you are in the world, please check this virtual summit out by going to leadingsaints.org slash mental health, and uh, you will not regret it. And I'm looking to launch this starting May 18th. So jump in and uh, don't miss a minute. And don't forget to register for free for the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit by texting the word LEAD to 474747 or visiting leadingsaints.org slash mental health. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.